Good morning, Grace Church. How are you doing today? Awesome. We are so glad you're here. Uh, if I was a carnal man, I would recap the scores, football scores from yesterday. But since I'm not, I probably will just pass right over the top of that and, and be spiritual about all of that. That's just kind of who I am, right? Amen. Awesome. So today we're going to continue in our series, Reset. And the reason that we're doing Reset is because my experience with New Year's resolutions are that they fail miserably most of the time. And, and the truth is, is that we don't need to make a resolution. What we need to do is reset ourselves from the inside out. And that's what we're going to try to do here in the next few weeks is figure out what areas of my life do I need to reset in so that I can experience the kind of change that God wants me to have from the inside out. Does that make sense to you? So that's why we're doing Reset, and I'm so excited about today. We're going to come to some really important stuff. And uh, so I'm going to start with a passage of Scripture. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. A lot of Christians have memorized it, but we're going to take it a little slower this morning and, and uh, just pick it apart a little bit and, and uh, talk about it in terms of what it means for my everyday living. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Do you believe that? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Now those are such interesting words <clears throat> because the reality is, is, that, um, is that most of us don't realize how change comes about in our life. This verse captures the essence of how change begins in our life and how it continues to grow in and, in and through us. <clears throat> so the question that I have for you this morning is simply this. How many of you today are ready for something, let's use the word here, new in 2020? Something new in 2020. So let me explain a couple things to you and then we're going to jump right into how you go about doing that. So the new life happens based upon this truth. There's a truth in Scripture. There's a truth that comes out of Scripture that I think is so powerful, so good, and that is simply this. Change comes from the inside out, not from the outside, not and it moves to the outside, not from the outside in. In other words, it doesn't come through resolutions. Change comes when something happens on the inside of me and it finds its way out. It finds its way out to the new life. For example, when I was uh, a brand new believer, I was, before I was a Christian, got saved when I was 23 years old, just a couple years ago, and um, got saved when I was 23, and I have to, I have to tell you, I, was, uh, I had as, about as filthy of mouth as you could possibly imagine. I mean, my, my, what came out of my mouth was not good, and, and uh, it wasn't edifying, and it, it was just horrible, and when I got saved, the moment I got saved, not a day later, not, not a week later, the day that I got saved, God did this miraculous thing and took it completely away from me. <clears throat> Just did it. It was a miraculous thing because God was changing me, listen to me carefully, from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so I'm just going to tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's how the Christian life works. And it is so good when you really begin to understand that. Uh, and that's how the gospel works. That's the gospel. God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. If we could, if you and I could just turn a new leaf over, that's all that would be required. But the truth is that we're so broken and so sinful that God had to effect a change 
<clears throat> from the inside out, and that's exactly what he does in the gospel. It's not just doing something different. It's not doing it a different way. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's not improving the old you. I'm, I'm telling you, you know all those self-help books? I'm going to save you a lot of money. You know, you don't need to buy them because they're about changing from the outside in, not from the inside out. At least most of them are. So I'm just saying to you, listen carefully. What you have to learn how to do is learn how to cooperate with God in this amazing process of the change that's going to come from inside of you. So the big question that I want to talk about for just a few minutes today, and I think this is going to be worth your time, how does God facilitate that? Okay, I get saved, and uh, I'm in this journey with God. How does God, what, is, what, what are the tools that God uses to change me from the inside out? And uh, so that's, we're going to talk about four things today. And these are four things that if I were you, I'd lean into. I'd take notes on there. You know, I'm going to use the screen to, do, you know, put verses up and that kind of thing, quotes and those kinds of things. But the points aren't going to be there. So you're going to have to, if you want to know what points they are, you're going to have to write them down. Or take a picture of the screen. I don't care what you do. But uh, either way, it's all good. So let's just jump right into it this morning. How does God change a life from the inside out? What's the process? I think there are four disciplines. Listen to that word. There are four disciplines of the Christian life that, cha that causes change to come from the inside. So the first one. Here's number one. And this is going to sound strange to some. This is going to be weird for some, some of you when I say it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you it is the absolute truth. It's happened in my life because of it. But here's what I've discovered in my walk with Jesus. That worship with emotion and intensity changes me from the inside out. When I, am, when, I, when I move from being passive with my worship to God to be intentional with my worship, when I move from being passionate or, 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 or passive to the concept of passionate with God, when I move there, then the truth is, is something happens inside of me. When it happens on a, you can't try this on a one-time basis and say it didn't work for me. This is a lifestyle of making a change. We're saying, you know, I, what I'm going to do is from this day forward, I am going to be a passionate worship, worshiper of Jesus. So let me show you a verse, and then we're going to talk about it. John chapter 4, this is Jesus, and this is what he says about the concept of worship. This is his encounter with the woman at the well. And uh, this is what he says to her. He says, the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here when true worshipers, notice the word there, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's what I want you to see. Here's the deal. The Father is searching this auditorium right now. Right now, the Father is looking for people who will stop making worship a passive event in their life and make it an aggressive act in their life. And something supernatural inside of you happens when you connect with the living God in worship. There is a transaction that happens there that words cannot describe. I can't describe it in any way, shape, or form. But all I know is this. The times that I've been the most changed is when I have connected to God in some way with this sense of awe and understanding and uh, understanding who he is and who I am. And at that moment in time, this worship happens, and out of that worship flows something different about me. 
And that is so important for you to understand. It is powerful. It's awesome. And uh, A.W. Tozer, he's an old dead guy. This is what he says about this. Worship is man's full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born and why we are born again. The reason that you take your next breath on planet Earth, the, the very reason that you're here, the reason that you're here today is to offer your, from your heart your words to God that express your worship to Him. That's why you exist. It's not for your 401K. It's not for, it's not for you, you know, for your health or any of those other things. The reason that you exist on this planet is for the worship of God. There are two kinds of people in the, worship, in the world. There are worshipers and non-worshipers. And worshipers are people who give their whole life to Jesus. They give their whole life to God. And out of that flows this adoration and praise and honor, all those things that are associated with the concept of of worship. There's, there never has been and never will be anyone like you in the universe. Now, think about that. You offer a unique uniqueness to God. Only your voice can do what it can do. And God wants to hear your voice because he loves your voice. It's a testament to who he is, not you. When I say there's no one like you in the world, that shouldn't puff your, yourself up. That should go, oh, this is an amazing God who created me just like I am. There's nobody, there's absolutely nobody on this planet like you. And therefore, there is absolutely nobody on this planet that can worship God like you. Do you understand that? So when you're absent in worship, there's something missing in worship. There's something that's missing in the concept of worship. And I'm telling you, this is transformational. When you begin to understand what I'm saying, when you begin to practice what I'm saying, it, I promise you, money back guarantee, it will transform your life when you begin to understand that what Satan wants for you to do is for you to show up on Sunday, fold your arms and watch and not participate. And it's even more than that. He wants you to have a life that's void of worship. Monday through Saturday. He doesn't want you to, he fears the Christian who is worshiping Jesus all the day, all the day long. He fears the Christian who from their heart walks with God in a way of adoration and praise and honor to God. That's what he hates the most. And I'm telling you, that is what transforms us the most. He doesn't want you to be transformed. So what is he going to do? He's going to put warfare in your life and he's going to try to get you not to worship Yahweh, not to worship God. So that's why your worship matters. And uh, I'm just going to ask you, have you ever thought, have you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, honestly, most of us don't think about the fact that my voice to God, my voice to God is one in a billion, billion, billion. It is unique. There's nobody that's going to worship God just like me. Mark Batterson says, all of creation is singing a unique song to the Creator, and you are part of that universal chorus. No one can worship God for you or like you. No one can. God has given you a unique voice print. I love that word. There are millions of people praying and worshiping God in every language. And, you know, during, uh, this is Sunday. So all over the world there are people worshiping and praising Jesus. But you know what? God is listening for your voice. That's what he's doing. He's listening for your voice. Because he, like a parent, knows his children's unique cry. 
or scream or laugh or worship. Just like a parent, he knows when I'm passive. So the Heavenly Father, this is the bottom line. This is true of even me. God loves my voice. You may not like it. I may not like it. My wife tells me how bad I am when I sing in the shower. But the truth is, is that God, lo- I, I remind her that God loves my voice and wants me to continue singing in the shower even though the neighbors complain. So here's a thought. Here's a thought that I want, I want you to see. What if you were as obsessed with your worship as you are with your cell phone? Ooh, there's a rumble in the audience. Or your sports teams. What if you were as excited about worship as you were about the 49ers win yesterday? Hey, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I just came out. I can't help myself. But here's the thing. What if, what if what excited you the most was that you got to get up on Sunday morning, set your alarm, get up here on time, and say, you know what, today I'm going to offer my voice unto God and I'm going to sing praise to Him. What will happen in your life is transformational. It really is. That's the first discipline, is the discipline of regularly, habitually, day by day. There should not be a day that goes by where you don't worship the living God. That's the first one. The second discipline is similar to it, and that is that not only do I need to, f- to worship God habitually, I also need to feed regularly. I need to be nourished. You cannot grow without consuming nutrition, and so the fact is, is that you and I need to learn where that nutrition comes from, and so what I need in my life is a regular, regular habitual diet of God's Word. That's the primary way that God speaks to His people, and so it is the primary way He wants you to grow. So God needs you and wa- wants you to engage in the Bible every day of your life. And yet, what I find is, is that even Christians are not doing that. And there's an ignorance among our, in our culture of the Word of God. In fact, um, a couple generations ago when, when uh, Leno was on The Tonight Show, anybody remember who Jay Leno was? Okay, there's a couple, there's a couple old, old people out here in the audience today. So this was, this was uh, BF before Fallon. And, uh, and so... He would go out on the street and do these, you know, these interviews with people, that man on the street interviews. And they were very funny. And, and uh, so c- several times he would go out and ask people Bible questions. And, you know, I don't know that he knows much of the Bible either, but he would ask them questions. And uh, one evening I was sitting there watching it, and I, there were three college students. And uh, he asked them, he asked one of the young ladies there, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And, and uh, one of this girl says, uh, yeah, freedom of speech. And he asked the other one, complete this sentence, let he was without sin, and response was, have a good time. <laughs> and then he turned to the young man that was in the, in the group, and he says, according to the Bible, uh, who was it that was eaten by a whale? And his res- confident response was, Pinocchio. <laughs> and we laugh at that, and we think that, you know, that's, that's humorous, and yeah, gosh, what an ignorant lot they are. But I wonder, I wonder what God thinks of our knowledge of the Bible. You know, Hosea, this prophet from the Old Testament, said, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Knowledge of who? Knowledge of the holy. And the only way that I'm going to get knowledge of the holy is if I open the Bible myself and really delve into what is there. And so, but the problem is, is there are several blocks that keep us from really engaging in the Bible. So let me see if I can 
take some of those away. The first reason that people don't engage in the Bible is because they, they don't realize how much we need to be led. You and I need to be led. You and I need leadership in our life. And God's primary way of leading us is by le- taking His Spirit and feeding us through His Word so that during the course of our day, we know what we need to do. We know how, how to think. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I've read something in the Bible in the morning and by noon I'm using it in my life because I'm in a circumstance. I need to be led. So when I'm not in the Bible, what I'm really saying is, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone. I'm just Pastor Dan and I say things the way they are. When, I, when, when I'm not in the Bible on a regular basis, nearly a daily, daily basis, what I'm really saying to God is I've got this. I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. I know what I need to know to do what I need to do. And what I'm trying to tell you is you're not smart enough. You're just not. Neither am I. You and I need, we need to understand that that's the primary way that God leads his children. So I need to have this regular nutrition that comes from the Bible. The second reason that people don't engage in the Bible is because they're intimidated by it. They don't know where to start. And they read things and they're going, what in the world does that mean? Ever thought that? Come on now, we're in church, you can say that. And so we're going to help you with that. We're going we're to read the Bible together. There's a, Bible, there, there's a place on the screen, let's put that up there for just a second. You can text that uh, and we, you can start doing a daily devotion with us. As a church, we're doing it. If you don't understand something, you can email the church and we'll do our best to answer it for you. We just want, we don't take all the excuses. You know, it's not intimidating. If you take it in bite-sized pieces, you can learn the Bible. And if you do it over a, bit, over a 10-year period, I'm telling you, if you just started every day, every day taking in nutrition for 10 years, I'm telling you, just like working out for 10 years, you would see a difference in your spiritual life. So don't be intimidated. The third reason that people don't uh, allow the Bible to have a place in their life is they just say, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. So let me see if I can dispel that. So do you know how many times that you and I, how many hours a year that you and I are on social media or watch TV? So let's just, let me tell you that, let me tell you just in case you didn't know. So the average person in America is on social media 608 hours every year. That's over an hour, nearly two hours a day, nearly two hours a day. And if that wasn't bad enough, we watch TV 1,642 hours a year. So if you add those two things up, that's 2,250 hours in a year spent on social media and television. And I want to ask you the question, how many of you all have had life-changing experiences from social media? I mean, other than the fact you found out who's eating where. I mean, that's not life-changing. I'm just saying, you may think it's life-changing, but it's not. It's just not. Or who's doing what and where and how or who said what. I'm, I'm just simply saying I'm not, I'm not coming, coming down on social media. I'm on it. But what I am saying is, is that when I use the excuse that I don't have time to engage with God every day, I'm really deceiving myself. I'm just not being honest with myself and I'm making an excuse not to. So I've got to, if I'm going to, if I want change from the inside out, the, that's what the Bible claims to do. So if, the more I take it in, the more I let it saturate in my heart, the more I'm going to have an experience of being changed from the inside out. The third area, the third discipline that God gives to us so that you and I can be transformed is the use of spiritual gifts. So let me show you this from the Bible. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. This is so powerful. 
God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Stop there for just a second. The moment you get saved, the moment, the moment you get saved, from that second, God sends his spirit in your life to seal you until the day of your redemption, until the day that Jesus comes back. And there's something else that he does. He grants every believer at least one spiritual gift and maybe more. He grants every spiritual gift, so every believer a spiritual gift. So that means if you are saved, you have given, been given not a talent. There's, there, there's a difference. You've been given a supernatural ability spiritually to do something. So, so let's read on. It says, use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will be bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. So God says here through Peter that there are two kinds of gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And so that, that's how he divides them. And so everyone, everybody in this auditorium has either a speaking gift or a serving gift. And what happens is, is that when I use my gifts... For the sake of others, not for my sake, but for the sake of others, there's something that happens inside of me that changes when I do it habitually. There's two kinds of gifts. Which kinds do you have? And if you have a speaking gift, that's not just someone who stands up like me on a platform and says things for an hour and then you go home. Speaking gifts have to do with encouragement and building up and, 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 and convicting and, and witnessing. And there's just so many types of speaking gifts. So I'm guessing that probably at least half of you in this auditorium have speaking gifts. Are you using them for his glory? And perhaps the other half have serving gifts, and serving gifts are just as important. They're not lesser gifts. These are the kind of gifts that, that you have that are supernatural. I'm just telling you, my, my gift is, I, I think, that I, you know, after doing this for a long time, I think I have the gift of teaching. But here's the deal, is that I, it wasn't natural to me. A, a spiritual gift is not natural. I don't naturally get up on stage. I don't naturally get up on stage and just do this thing. It's not a natural thing at all for me. In fact, if you see me in the foyer, I'm just going to give you an, I'm just going to give you a clue. Sometimes I'm like a doorknob. <laughs> and you're going, what happened to you? It's not my gift out there. That's not my gift. My gift isn't shaking hands and kissing babies. It's not my gift. It's just not my gift. But you put me on this stage and I own it because God has given me a gift to be able to impart truth to you. All right, that's it. And, but here's the thing. God doesn't require me to be out there what I am here. He does not require me to do that because it's not my gift. So I've got to be nice to you. He does tell me that. I've got to be nice to you. So I'm working on that piece. I am. I really am working on that piece, but I'm, I'm just saying you have spiritual gifts, and we, you use them habitually over and over again when you discover your gift. And so the question is, how do I know what my gift is? Well, the answer to that question is, this is how I learned what my gift is. This was, you know, in the dark ages when they didn't have all these spiritual gifts tests. Uh, but, but the way I discovered my spiritual gift is that I tried stuff. So if you're interested in trying stuff, you know, there, let's put this next slide on the screen. Uh, you can do a team tour, and, you know, I think the date's up there. You can try that team tour. We'll give you an inside look at, we'll give you an inside look at, you know, Grace Church, and you can say, is there some place that interests me? But here's what I want you to know, and I want to say this loud and clear. Your spiritual gifts don't all have to be used inside the church. You can use them everywhere. You can use them anywhere. And I'm telling you that when you use your spiritual gifts, 
when you use them, something will happen to you that is supernatural and fulfilling and beautiful. There were two guys that were working uh, on a project, and one guy was digging a hole. So they were working on the street. They were from the, you know, the city. They were working, they're working in this, d- digging this hole. So one guy would dig, and the other guy would fill it up. So they dug several holes like this down the road, and there was an observer across the street, and he was watching these city workers do this. And they, he said, uh, he came over to him and said, so, you know, I'm impressed by how, how hard you're working. It's amazing how hard. You're not loafing. You're doing a great job. But I'm just curious, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, there's normally, the guy said that was working, there's normally three of us, but the guy who plants the trees is sick today. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you feel somewhere along the way that, somewhere along the way that uh, you're like that guy that's digging a hole with no purpose. You know what gives you purpose? And maybe, maybe you have this exciting job where you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you go, I cannot wait to get to work. Maybe that's you. I hope it is. But maybe you're not there. How do you find fulfillment in life? It's that you begin the process of realizing that athletics or entertainment or anything else don't bring satisfaction in your life. What brings satisfaction is when you know there's no greater joy in life and knowing that you did what God wanted you to do using your gifts ministering to other people. There's no greater high in life. So if you have this job that you're going, I can't hardly stand it, I'm, I have to have it, if, you're, if that's where you're at, well, I, I, I'm sorry, but here's the thing. I can show you how to be fulfilled. And that is by discovering your gifts and using them for the sake of others. That's true fulfillment in the process of doing life. And it is amazing when you figure it out. Fourth area, last area that we want to talk about is the, the idea, how does God change a life from the inside out? By you and I regularly connecting to each other and to God. I want to show you another verse. This verse is found in the book of James, James chapter uh, 5, verse 16. This is what it says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I want to show you something about this verse. It is interesting that this verse connects two essential things in the Christian life. These two things are, first of all, our need for each other. Confess your sins one to another. Our need for one another and the idea of prayer. Those two things, connecting to each other and to God produces change in your life. So here's what I wanted to say about prayer. Prayer can do anything that God can do. But God does it primarily through, listen to me carefully, He does it primarily through community. God can do anything that we ask Him to do, but for some reason God has this idea that community is important. And so many times, many times, in fact the majority of my experience is, that God does it in the context of living my life with other believers. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I have a homework assignment for you. I want you to choose someone for you to pray for every day. So I'm going to tell you a story before you choose who you're going to pray for. So I was won to Christ by a guy by the name of Art. He was my pastor back in 1977. They kept calendar in those days. So 1977, I get saved. And my pastor has prayed for me every day since then. Still alive today. Prays for me every day. Calls me and says, how can I pray for you? Is there anything going on, anything new? Prays for me every single day. And I know without any doubt in my life that I am where I am because I have someone who has been faithful in praying for me. 
So what would happen if you chose somebody? What would happen if you chose one person? And that one person was your prayer target. And you prayed for them. You, you, and if anything could happen in your day, but you're going to choose to pray for that person. And I would choose somebody that if they were actually to get on fire for Jesus, would make an impact for the kingdom. That's who I would choose. And then you just become faithful. You pray for them every day, thick or thin, you know, rain or shine, doesn't matter. You're just going to pray for them. And, and by the way, just this is a sidebar is you could actually use this to help yourself because here's the reality, is that every time you are tempted, anybody here have temptation? Every time you're tempted, you actually turn that temptation into a prayer for that person. Here's the deal. Your temptation would get minimized because Satan would get the picture that he hates prayer and you're praying every time and you're praying for someone who if they got ignited would change the course of history. Does that make sense? We're just preaching to the choir here. So the deal is, is this. You choose somebody. I don't care who they are. Choose somebody. I, somebody's already got me, so you can't choose me. I'll let you know if that changes. But you just choose somebody who, has, who could have significant impact on the kingdom if they were just to catch on fire and have the right breaks, the right doors open for them. And you pray for them with with all fervency, and I'm going to tell you, your life will be changed when you connect to God for the sake of somebody else. And you know what else it does? It kind of takes the focus off of our small little problems and puts them where they need to be on Jesus himself. Does that make sense? So, Father, I just thank you for this great truth, and my prayer is that God that you will just do an amazing work in each one of our lives. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, for the truth that we've looked at today. And, Lord, I pray for your people, God, that they would do exactly what you would have them to do. Now, everybody look up, up at me for just one second. I want to I finish with this thought. Prayer, prayer can do anything that God can do. Anything that God can do, that should change your life in and of itself.